beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. One of the biggest changes in my life in the last few years is that we've gained a family member. Okay, not exactly as one of our oldest nieces. She was already part of our family, but we gained a new household member, I should say. My niece Alex is my sister's second child, and she, along with her older sister Kate, who we talk about in this episode, They were both born when I was in college. Like me, Alex grew up in Oklahoma and graduated from the University of Oklahoma. And like me, she moved to Los Angeles after college and started working in television production. Besides our particular life paths, Alex and I have a lot in common, including that we both love to read. But whenever we talk about what we're reading or what our respective algorithms are saying about reading, it is very clear that there are some generational differences, and that is what we talk about in this conversation. Alex and I are almost exactly 20 years apart, and I find her 20-something perspective so fascinating. If you have access to someone quite a bit older or younger than you, This is a reminder to talk to them about the way they see the world. Maybe you're talking about a hobby or a passion, or maybe you're talking about how the algorithm shapes us all, or maybe you're talking about something even bigger than that. I hope you enjoy this conversation with me, a 44-year-old aunt, and Alex, my 24-year-old niece. Alex, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. And by be here, you mean like we walked across the driveway to the podcast studio. (laughs) Yeah. 
it's cozy in here. Because we live together. We do, yeah. We've lived together for almost two years, but I am your aunt. I'm your niece, Alex. <laughs> I'm 24, and I work in production, and I moved out to L.A. in the beginning of 2022, and I've just been hanging out, living with you guys. I love it because... Long-time listeners, it don't have to be that long, but people who've listened for a while or seen my social media maybe have realized that I am suddenly, in my 40s, surrounded by people in their 20s, which is a, a whole thing, honestly. You moved in a couple of years ago, and then Jeff's nephew and his girlfriend moved out to L.A., and so suddenly, literally, for the past year plus... I've been surrounded by all these young people, and I actually really love it because I have learned a lot from hearing your perspective or seeing the way your life is playing out because I'm almost exactly 20 years older than you, and, like, a lot changes in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm keeping you trendy and hip and cool. You really are. How and am I doing? I actually have no idea and any impact that I've had on your life at all. Okay, are you serious? I'm serious. <laughs> I'm so serious. Of I feel course. Like you guys are just like living and. Well, we are. We're living our like parent life. Right. Jeff and I are. And then, of course, my kiddos. We all live in the house together with the dogs, with the fish, with the tortoises. But yeah, you definitely have made an impact <laughs> on my life. If I haven't said it to you privately, I will say it here publicly on this show. It has made a big impact on me to have you around, to have your perspective, to sort of see firsthand the way your generation is growing up. I, there's so much to learn from your generation, and I hope that you think there's so much to learn from mine and then, of course, beyond. And it's actually why I wanted to have you on the episode today. You're a big reader, so it's going to be fun to talk about books with you, but also because as a longtime reader myself, and then now an author, your generation, which we discovered was not discovered, but really determined, for sure was Gen Z, you're an older Gen Z, is changing the publishing industry a lot. And maybe just reading culture also, you know, and so I just wanted to talk to someone about that, instead of just like reading think pieces about it. I was like, no, let's yeah. actually talk about it. Yeah. And it, I feel like Part of me kind of sees the like the way that things are changing, but also part of me is like, well, it's hard to imagine it having been any other way, like world without the internet, and like we t we were talking about this earlier. But it just feels like that this is the way it is. Maybe every generation feels that of like you can't imagine the time before. It feels really foreign to imagine the time before, yeah. but in particular, your generation. Gen Z starts in 97. You were born in 99. So you are on the upper end of that. And actually, my kids are even technically Gen Z being born in 2009 and 2011. But that feels like kind of a, quite a gap, actually, mm -hmm. in time. But your generation, Gen Z, and especially your exact age, older Gen Z, are digital natives is what I saw it called online, like actually the first generation who grew up without ever knowing life before the internet. Right. And it feels like the landscape of the internet has changed so drastically, too, like, since I've started using it, or it's been like that, like, even in the last, like, five years or something. Like, the downfall of Twitter a couple months ago feels like 
I don't know. I personally feel like at this moment, like everything with the internet feels like a little bit up in the air. Mm-hmm. It does feel up in the air. And even though you were born when there was the actual internet, early 2000s, that version of the internet is so different than what it is now. So you did do sort of your earlier life without social media as we know it now. Mm-hmm. And I think social media is the biggest part of this conversation. It's not the only part of this conversation of generational differences and in, in how we read and talk about reading and think about books, because I'll just throw this in there. When I was in college, which is when you were a baby, so I was in college from 97 to 2001, and the internet was very much in its infancy, but it was already affecting the way that we read. So the thing that I remember the most is Stephen King put out like chapters of a book online for free. He did it like in installments, Mm -hmm. sort of as a experiment of just like, where's this internet thing going? (laughs) And I remember even then feeling like, oh, this will change everything. If we can read stories online or make changes to them in real time, he was also Mm -hmm. changing his chapters or like he was only a few chapters ahead of the audience, right? So however the audience was reacting to the story was affecting how he was going to write the rest of it. That's very like Wattpad of him. Like he was sort of in his... What? (laughs) Do you know what Wattpad is? No. Okay, well, here I am impacting your life with right. with valuable information like Wattpad, which is a very popular. There's like other, I think AO3 is the site too, but there's just like huge fan fiction sites that like as a teenager, very I was very into. And it was like the same where they would do installments. And so like based on what people were saying, like sort of affected. So we sort of set a precedent, honestly. Well, it was very innovative. I know what fan fiction sites are. I just didn't know what Wattpad was specifically. Yeah. That was a big one. I knew many people who wrote on Wattpad. They wrote fanfic? Mm Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Because so while that was developing in like the early 2000s or whatever, while that was becoming a thing, personal writing, so what became blogging, which is now is what has become social media, basically sharing Mm -hmm. your own life, your own musings, was sort of starting alongside that. And that's also affected, I think, the way that we take in stories and how we feel about nonfiction of people like sharing themselves that used to be like a like memoir and narrative nonfiction like that used to be a that genre I feel like was looked at really differently pre the internet where everyone can share their yeah their whole lives (laughs) and everything that goes on it's like less of a novelty now Mm -hmm. to read someone's personal story anybody can write a memoir basically right tell me because you are a big reader I do want to know a little bit about your reading background. Like, were you always a reader? And then I want to seg that into, like, where you get sort of reading recommendations these days. Mm -hmm. Because I I think that that is a huge part of this conversation. Yeah. So I was a huge reader as a kid. I feel like this is not an uncommon story. I read a lot as a kid, and it was definitely, like, the AR points, like, the point system you got in school definitely motivated me because Kate, my older sister, she was a big reader too. And so she was like reading all the time, getting like points for it. And so I started doing it. I would usually be reading like two books at a time and I would read like a chapter of one book and then a chapter of another book. So wait, why'd you do it that way? Was this competitive reading? 
I was doing it because I wanted to, like, I don't know. I think in my brain I just wanted to finish both books at the same time. I don't know. There's something to me that I liked about, like, the multitasking of it. I can't really do that now. I don't know what I was doing, but, like, I don't know. I would do that all the time. I was really into, like, series of unfortunate events. It was, Mm. like, a big one for me. Harry Potter, Twilight. Twilight, it was, like, in the library, and I was reading it in, like, fifth grade or something, I think, which is, like, weird to look back on now. Not to me. I was reading Stephen King in the fifth grade, so it was fine. Well, I know, but, like, were were your, like, school librarians giving you Stephen King? Like, were they stalking? No, I got all of the, you know, scary stuff or even scandalous stuff that I was reading at that age from a friend's bookshelf. Like, her mom Mm -hmm. read all of that stuff, and so we would steal it off her mom's bookshelf and read it. Mm -hmm. But this is actually, you know, goes to a little bit of... The book banning conversation that I had with my friend Emily Jones here on the show a few weeks ago. She's a librarian in Arkansas. Now, most of the books that people are trying to ban are explicit content. Mm -hmm. But listen, those scary books probably are more traumatizing than the explicit content. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't think I ever saw a Stephen King book in my school library. But what you were reading sounds like pretty normal for that time. Yeah, it was like very, I guess, like in my age category. And then... Once I got into, like, middle school and high school, it was I didn't read much at all. Like, I never read anything that was assigned to me. What? Why? You were a good student. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the way that I was a good student, though, was I figured out exactly how much I could get away with and still keep the A, which, like, sometimes became a B or whatever. But, like, that was fine. And that meant, like, I could... With the internet, I could, we had to read, like, The Glass Menagerie and, like, The Pearl or whatever. I could go to Sparknotes for, like, whatever thing we're reading or Shakespeare play or just, like, read summaries of it. Alex Grace! (laughs) I don't know if it would, if it just had to do with, I didn't like being told what to read, but, like, I wasn't going to read it. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to have this conversation and take my aunt (laughs) hat off and just be like okay were a lot of kids doing that yeah i think it sort of becomes the thing of like there were a couple of books there were like a handful of books that like i actually read but i think it sort of became the thing of like you had the internet the internet could you give you all this information that's like gonna get you an a on the test or whatever and like i'm like i don't like this book (laughs) so i have other things i could be doing which is funny to talk about now because we're just sitting here talking about what a big reader I am now. And I'm like, well. No, it's, it's not. I don't think that one necessarily follows the other because what we're talking about is reading what you want to read versus reading what you've been assigned to read or what you're going to be tested on. Which I think for a lot of people changes how they feel about reading. You know, if you mm-hmm. never read something that you really loved and connected to when you were young, you're not going to be likely to pick up a book as an adult. If you only associated reading with stressful tests or grades or works you didn't understand. I think there's a lot of reasons that people don't read Mm -hmm. as an adult. And one reason is because they never were shown why it could be fun or interesting. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I think what started it is that seventh grade, my summer reading book was The Pearl by John Steinbeck. And before that, like, I was in elementary school. It's sort of like read what you want. And so 
but I got this book and started reading it and I was like, what is going on? Like with this pearl and this baby and these like random people, I'm 12 years, 11, 12 years old or something. And there's like, it's your summer reading thing. You have no teacher to like guide you. You're just supposed to have read the book by the time you get there. And I just think I was like, why would I do this? I don't understand what's important about this. Like, it just felt like something that was too dense for me, for them to just like throw it at you and be like, here's the summer reading thing. Um, I was just like, okay, I'm not doing this. So that could have killed your love of reading forever. I guess, yeah. So when did you pick back up for fun? It started in college. I don't know exactly what started it. I think it was that I like was sort of hitting this period where I was didn't know what to do with my major and like school was suddenly like I thought I'd known what I wanted to do. I was like a psychology major for two years and then I was like, I don't want to do this. And so then I did finance for a semester. Weird. Weird. <laughs> like a weird flip. Such a weird flip. And I think like during that period, it just became like something that was comforting to me again. Cause I like I don't know, I just didn't know what I liked doing or what I wanted to do and I was like well I have to pick or I'm going to be in college forever and so I think that's sort of when I just went to like Barnes and Noble because like my mom my sister and I it used to be like the only Barnes and Noble near us was the one in Norman which is like 20-ish minutes from where we lived or like the one sort of on the north side which is like third so there wasn't like a chainy bookstore near us it felt like and I don't know. I just felt like that bookstore in my college town, like, had all this nostalgia around, like, we would go to that bookstore coming up from our grandparents and, like, get a book and then we, like, go home. And so I think I just sort of went back to that. Like, I just went to the bookstore and bought a couple of things. I just felt, I was like, this seems, like, fun and easy and distracting. Also, I think a little bit listening to your podcast and listening to episodes where you guys talked about books... And I was like, oh, I want to, like, why did I stop reading? Why did I stop doing this so much? I didn't know you listened to my podcast. Yeah. I listen to your podcast all the time. That is so weird. It's not weird. (laughs) You put yourself out on the internet and then you're like, what do you mean you're consuming that you're looking at this? (laughs) No, I just because you could chat with me in the kitchen. Not when I was in college. Right. Okay. Well, back then. But still, I'm actually glad I didn't know. That my nieces were listening or a niece was listening because I get in my head about that kind of thing. You know, how I sit in this podcast space and I just pretend that nobody's listening. It's easier for me to right. do that. Right. Okay. But I like this thread of you picking up a book in a time where it felt comforting, like you're saying, or in a time of uncertainty where you're like, I'm just going to sort of revert to something that has nostalgia around it or that I just really you know, like, I don't, I'm not sure what else to do in this moment sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a good, a good reason to reach for a book, if you ask me. And then you went through college, you graduated, yay, Yay. you figured it out. Figured it all out. You moved to LA. And I see you in the living room, reading on the couch all the time. Yeah. So what, it just snowballed and became like a thing that you do? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I switched my major to English. And so then I was reading, and I was, like, actually tr- – I was actually trying to read. I actually wanted to read everything, but, like, literally just physically could not because I was trying to put my entire major into a year and a half of school. Wait, so are you hinting at that you were using the Spark Notes and cheating in college also? 
Well, yeah. Because listen, when you are doing this, you're supposed to take like two, maybe three upper division English courses. I was taking like four or my last semester five. And like these courses were requiring you to read a book every week. So when you have multiple classes that are like, you have to read this book, like I have to pick and choose of like what I'm going to do. I'm not judging you, babe. You graduated. We're doing great. I just, and it's not that Cliff's Notes, which is what Spark Notes is on the internet now. But when I was growing up, there was Cliff's Notes. Now they were like little pamphlets. You Mm -hmm. had to like buy them. I've seen them. (laughs) And I'm like, this is just on the internet. Why would anyone buy this? It's the same thing. And, you know, so I'm not like aghast that this exists or that this is a way to get by in a class, which I don't think is the same thing as life. You know, Mm -hmm. I I really don't, obviously. I'm just, this is just all new information to me. Yeah. For you. Yeah. The internet was revolutionary (laughs) in helping kids cheat. (laughs) Okay. Now I know that. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, but tell me how you think your generation and you're not speaking for your whole generation. I don't want that to be like the pressure or the the level of this conversation. But I have just from an observant point of view seen, as everyone has who's interested at all in this topic, the rise of book talk 
yeah. talking about books on TikTok, which seems like, again, just from observation, a lot of women roughly your age, so in their 20s, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And it is like, honest to God, changed the publishing industry. It's huge. It's huge. And I, I'm not even on TikTok. I mean, I didn't get a TikTok account until like six months ago. So some of this I've just learned second and third hand, like people talking about it, the industry mm-hmm. talking about it. And actually, one of the reasons that I finally caved and joined TikTok after all this time was because I was about to publish a book. And I was like, I feel like this is where the lit conversations are happening. It is. Well, I feel like, I I guess I feel like one of the big things is just about TikTok in general is that it's so algorithm-based that, like, anything could happen. Like, you could really just blow up overnight with, like, your book or something that you're writing or, like, people that are, like, self-publishing or doing whatever. Like, it's a place where you can really gain traction just, like, seemingly at random. But I I don't know if it's just the format of TikTok that makes it so easy to digest. Like, you have so much content coming at you. I've been on, like, scrolling or whatever, and I'll have, like, 30 different book recommendation videos. I don't know. I don't even know where to start with, like, TikTok and book talk and how it all is. Well, I wonder a few different things that might be happening here. And you can tell me if I'm off base because this is me just, like, brainstorming or or thinking about it, how it might be affected by people your age who are suddenly getting book recommendations in their algorithm. Mm -hmm. We are being sold to... In every scroll, there's so much that we're being sold. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's like a very expensive things feels like out of our reach, like clothes or whatever. Sometimes it's like you can look better by doing this. It's like going at our self-esteem or whatever. When you get a recommendation for a book, when you're being sold to on a book, like everybody go grab this book. This is amazing. That is a different part of your brain that lights up. First of all, books are generally affordable, if not free, if you use the library. And you can feel, like, smart and plugged in as opposed to all these other ways we're being sold to is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You know, like, for me, if I'm scrolling and just starting to feel like, ugh, I'm not not cute. I don't feel like I own the right clothes. I don't – you know, you're just – you can feel less than, less than, less than. And then when you get into, like, a book talk territory, you're like, oh, you feel – this might just be for readers, but to me it feels like, oh, okay, this is being sold to in a way I'm happy to be sold to. Right. Yeah. And it's those things, like, bleed together. Like, I don't know if you know about, like, the hot girl walk or, like, hot girl things. Does that strike any chords with you? No. Okay. Well, on TikTok, there, there was, like, this whole trend. It's sort of gone now, but of, like... Hot girls do this. Hot girls do that. And it's just sort of this way of being like, a lot of it was used to be like, it's this is something I do that makes me a hot girl. That's sort of like separate from like, like all the very like model-esque, super aesthetic, like aesthetic people that sort of like, I go on a walk every day. This is my hot girl walk. Or like, I make myself a little tea. This is my hot girl tea. And so I think with books, especially for women... It's become this, like, oh, if you're a hot girl, you've read this book. Mm. It's sort of like an aesthetic thing. It's sort of like how Tumblr did it when Tumblr was in its heyday. But, like, with Tumblr, it was more just, like, a, the image of the book. And now it's, like, hot girls read this. And it also is a really specific kind of book, I've noticed, that, that like, very much appeals to women. 
actually there's two there's two genres of books that do really well on tiktok for girls mm, okay Tell that me. i've noticed the first one's just like smut basically like very romance sexy whatever that's not really my thing i don't really get is that, that like the colleen hoover mania that's what it was and then like people i feel like that's almost for like a little bit younger people and then people on my age on tiktok were like this not to bash on anyone but they were like we don't like like this is weird like they didn't like the actual books themselves so it sort of like branched into like a court of roses and thorns thorns and roses oh yeah that one's everywhere too i've resisted it thus far but it is a major yeah just like sort of like romance fantasy like sort of that escapism and then the other one which i think is so much more interesting is like very focused on like feminine rage and anger and like a lot of these books are very violent in nature there's one that i see all the time called a certain hunger which is about a woman who's a food critic who eats men also just sort of on the side and there's one called bunny that's really popular that's about like a group of women in college that are like turning bunnies into men or something there's like sort of this sci-fi-esque thing but it's like also very violent very like brutalistic like i feel like a lot of women right now are using books like this as like an outlet for emotions that they don't feel comfortable with Mm. so this is like a slice of empowerment Mm -hmm. because i feel like being angry as a woman it's how i feel is like that's like the last thing that i can like resort to like the scariest thing is to be like really angry about something and I feel like other women must feel this way because they just feel like it's never something that they can express or that it's something that they feel like alone in like they're the only person that feels that kind of anger like it feels scary to them and so to have like these books where someone not only felt it but then wrote about it in great graphic detail I feel like that's comforting to them. Well, okay, lots of thoughts here because I don't know that that – I just think that's a different side of the same coin of romance books in that I think women forever have been attracted to works, but especially books, that allows them to be something in the pages of that book that they cannot be in their real life. Mm -hmm. So if that means like overtly sexual or angry, I think some of this is tied to the rise of true crime, which was heavily – driven by women's interest in true crime, which is like murder and protecting yourself and finding a killer through DNA and like all of these things that I think also was speaking to a root emotion of women that was fear. Mm -hmm. So that was like all of our fear was channeled into true crime for a while. And now you're telling me a lot of our anger is being funneled into certain popular works of fiction. So it's, it's fascinating. And maybe it's All of these things at once, sort of depending on where your emotions go or maybe what age you are. Like the true crime thing might be more my age, women in their 40s that had lived with a lot of fear. And so now we could all channel it into that. Mm -hmm. Your age, your generation, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was hit with a lot of anger. Right. Well, because I think there's more awareness of victim blaming now. And so I feel like that is maybe what's diverting it towards anger instead of, like, being scared and being like, what can I do to prevent myself from becoming one of these women that's murdered? Now it's, like, 
these men are the ones brutalizing us, and it's sort of like now I'm going to be the murderer. now I'm going to be yeah the brutalistic one like through this book or whatever right, which I think is interesting. I haven't read many of those. Do you feel like I don't know if you chat with your friends about this or not? Like I don't even know if y'all talk in this way, but do you feel like book talk being such a big thing? Do you think that's made any of your friends read more or read differently? Mm-hmm. Definitely more. And I think part of it's related to the pandemic, too. And it's almost hard to, like, separate the pandemic and TikTok because they both... Like, I TikTok's been around since 2019 or whatever, but it, like, skyrocketed when everyone was home and had nothing to do. So I feel like both those things, like, the sort of solitude of pan, the pandemic and, like, the rise of TikTok and sharing books that you like on TikTok and creating trends around books and like sort of making them cool and aesthetic. Got a ton of people into it. I my like best friend from home reads all the time now. She really didn't read all that much when we were living together in college. And I also wonder if it goes to a conversation you and I were having literally in the kitchen earlier today, which was kind of a separate conversation, so I won't recap that whole thing, but we were talking a little bit about how it used to be the cool way to be was like the cheerleader or the jock or the whatever. And that something culturally you were telling me, cause I didn't fully know this has swapped mm-hmm. where like it is truly cool and hipster and whatever to be nerdy or mm-hmm. to be a bookworm or to be, have that cozy aesthetic or whatever. Yeah. Which I do see online. Some, all of these things are sort of working, I think in conjunction with one another, but everything we're talking about is internet driven. Part of our conversation earlier was also about just you, you growing up with the internet and with social media. There were so many options of a way to be. There was not like one way to be cool or smart or whatever. There's so many ways. You can see true examples of whatever you're into. You can see someone who's older or stylish or whatever who's also into that thing mm-hmm. who make the thing cool. Literally everything. When we did not used to have that. All we had was our own communities or what we saw on TV. There's just so many ways to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it can all be cool and interesting. And the person who, I don't know, is into weird niche stuff can still have a million TikTok followers or whatever. Yeah. It's fascinating, actually. Yeah. I've never asked you this, but I'm curious to know how you feel about, like, you generally see what I'm reading. I leave my books all over the house. Mm -hmm. Amazon boxes come, book of the month selections come, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's books in our kitchen. Do you feel like, this will not hurt my feelings, however you answer it. Am I reading, like, 40-something women stuff? Or is there, like, a crossover of, like, a popular book that, like, that Court of Thorn and Roses or whatever it is, is is crossing a lot of genres? And sometimes I see you picked up something a few times. You've come home from the bookstore and I'm like, okay, I already own that. You could have just gotten that off the shelf. But you didn't know that because we hadn't. That's true. There definitely is crossover. I don't think you read old people books. I've read some of your book recommendations before. And like I pull books off your shelf sometimes. I think your taste in particular sort of like is right on the line of like sort of purely contemporary and like literary. Like you sort of like ride that line Mm -hmm. whereas I feel like a lot of the tiktokers I watch and maybe it's because they like are sort of branding themselves or like pick one like someone's either super snobby like very literary and classics and blah 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 or it's like a court of thorns and roses and like 
I think I tend towards lit. I wasn't trying to put you on the spot or make you make it about necessarily me in particular. I was trying to figure out if like, I don't remember when I was your age, but I've always had kind of wacky lit taste. So I was, I don't remember when I was your age, if I thought that there were like old people books Uh (laughs) or, you know, or if you're like, I'm a 20 something, I will say I read Sally Rooney's latest book last year. It came out last year and I had enjoyed her first two books and this, her latest one, was the first time that I was like, oh, yeah, I'm too old for this, actually. It felt like the fir- you haven't had this experience yet, but eventually right. one time you will walk into Urban Outfitters or <laughs> some other kind of, like, trendy uh-huh. store and be like, oh, yeah, no, I am can't wear this. I actually, this is not my place anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, like, body types or anything like that. It's more just about, like, yeah, this is not, I'm a mom now or whatever. Yeah. And I felt that when I read the Sally Rooney book where I thought, oh, this is the first time. I mean, and I was 43 last year. So it was the first time that I thought I've aged out of this book, mm-hmm. this type of book, mm-hmm. this author for now. Like 20-something angst is interesting as I used to. Right. Or whatever. I don't know if you feel that about, about um, you. <laughs> <laughs> about about older people books like right. family dramas, let's say, that are uh-huh. like popular kind of across the scope. If you are reading a family drama in your 20s. I remember I read Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections, which is a family drama, when I was almost exactly your age. I remember exactly where I was when I read that book. And I've been meaning to reread that book because when you read a family drama book in your 20s, you're just observing it. You're like a voyeur in to that world necessarily. If I read it now as a parent of teenagers that like, you're just going to read it really differently. Yeah. I would say no, but also I tend to reach for more mature things just as like a general statement I think maybe it could even be like a pride or ego thing like if someone tells me that they're like well this is sort of older like even from the time I was a kid I was like okay well then I'm gonna read it I don't know why you're telling me that it's older but like like, I'll get it I'll get it (laughs) and a lot of times I think I do at least to the point where like I can enjoy it from whatever perspective I'm coming from but the book that I'm thinking of I think won the Pulitzer Prize it was called Less Oh, yeah, I read it. And people loved it. And I remember actively reading it, and I was like, this is for someone in, like, a later stage of life than me. Like, I just don't, like, it's, and I feel like I know people my age who really liked it, too. But I was just like, to me, it felt like where he was at, I was like, I'm just not, like, resonating with this. And with this book called The Need, Mm -hmm. I also literally got because you recommended it. And Reading that one, because that was when I read, like, my junior year of college, I think. I finished it, and I was like, okay. like, (laughs) Okay, but that, to be fair, a lot of people, even mothers, finished that book and were like, what? But that one has, like, sat with me for years, actually. Like, I think about it now. And when I was in, when I was, like, taking writing classes, I would use that book as, like, a reference sometimes for just, like random formatting things, but... Yeah, that book is doing something super interesting. It is. But it's not particularly enjoyable. And no. so this is this is another thing. I mean, we could talk about... We could talk about the philosophies of reading for hours and hours. But, like, if you're reading to escape, if you're reading to find yourself, to feel seen, to all the things we've talked about, that's one thing. And then sometimes you can read a book like The Need, actually, and not necessarily enjoy it and still get so much out of it. Yeah. 
But not everybody wants to do that. I mean, right. some people have limited amount of reading time and they just want to enjoy themselves for 30 minutes. Like, I get that. Right. But I think I but I genuinely believe this comes back to sort of TikTok and Internet culture of what makes it so popular for people to be like, oh, she's just like me. Like, I feel like that's part of the book talk thing is being like, oh, you're going to like relate to this so much. Like relatability is plays just like a huge role. And I feel like what attracts people on book talk, which that's never my intention with reading and i feel like that's a lot like on book talk that is like sort of the intention of like escapism but like almost in a self-inserty way of being like you're gonna love this because it relates to you and your life is how it's marketed but i think you and i are talking about separating books from that emotion whereas like there's a lot of art where that's why we connect to it so for example I'm not a huge music person. I have a a few things. I have like a handful of of artists or albums or songs that I like deeply, deeply love. But I'm not just a fan of like general music. Mm -hmm. The things that I do connect to, it's because I am like, oh, she expressed that in a way that I never could. Even with like Taylor Swift breakup songs, for example, I'm 20 years out of going through a breakup. But I still remember what that felt like. Right. And I can like scream that song in the car like I was 18 right. and really love it. I wouldn't love that objectively. Like Jeff, who's really into just music generally, uh-huh. he'll play something and be like, isn't that amazing? And I'll be like, I can see objectively that this seems like a very talented person, mm-hmm. but I am not like connecting to it. Yeah. And so I'm doing with music what you're saying a lot of people are doing with books. Right. I've had that same thought of where like I want to see myself in whatever song I'm listening to. And I do that with, like, I don't know, even, like, TV and movies. Like, I think what makes it different for me, and maybe it's just because I'm a slow reader, a book is such a long format. For me, I'm like, I have to see myself in this for, like, weeks or however <laughs> long it's going to take me to, like, I'm not really sure I want to look at myself all that much. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. It's a different journey. It's a different journey to, like, read a whole book. But in terms of the TikTok of it all, the book talk of it all, if you weren't a big reader, you didn't like reading growing up, and now you're a 20-something, and you read a book, and you kind of see yourself reflected back for the first time, if all you've ever read was The Pearl right. for school, and then you read something, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know books could be like this, mm-hmm. because you didn't, that's like a game changer. I mean, that's what will make you super into book talk. Yeah. And, and if it isn't clear, even though I'm not really on TikTok and I, I don't totally understand this, which is why I'm glad we're talking about it, I'm grateful for it. Like, I'm glad that reading has taken a huge tick up, basically from your generation and TikTok, even if it's romance and stuff that I don't read much of. I'm just like, yay, because if people get super into romance... I mean, they could only read romance for the rest of their life. I don't care. And that's great. But they could also end up reading something else and something else. Like, it's just breeding readers, Mm -hmm. which I'm for. Yeah. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. 
It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Okay, this has been such a good conversation generally, but I actually do want to hear the books that you have read lately that you really love and want to recommend because, you know, I do have a very specific taste mm-hmm. <laughs> in books. And so when I do solo episodes on this show where I'm sharing what I've loved, it's to my specific taste. And so I love talking with people as I try to do several times a year who are reading different things than I am, you know, for my own education and and for the listeners. And so you're a completely different demographic of reader Mm -hmm. than I am. And so I'm going to share a couple of things that I have really loved, but I really want to hear what you have read lately. Start with just one. Okay. My first one is the book that I'm reading right now, I don't know if that's cheating, but I've got like 75 pages left, called The Secret History by Donna Tartt. Oh, yeah, I read that. It's so good. It's just like juicy. Like the whole thing feels like very dark and spooky and like also like very cozy at the same time. But I read The Goldfinch at the end of last year, and I wish that I had started with this one because I feel like I just would have gotten a better sense of her as like a writer in this book before jumping into, like, The Goldfinch is so huge. Is this why you picked up The Secret History? Because you read and liked The Goldfinch? Yes. That, and I'd seen it on Book Talk. Like, I'd had it recommended to me multiple times, and I saw one that was, like, it was just, like, a really well-put-together video that I was like, okay. And then I think Kate read it, too. Your sister. Yeah. Also, I feel like that book shows up on all kinds of lists all the time, which it's actually, it's an older book, but it'll be on, you know, like best books of the 21st century or I don't know, whatever. I feel like that book ends up on a lot of people's either favorites lists or best of lists. Right. It says from the get go, like it's about this group of college students who like kills one of their friends and that's like page one. They're like, we did this horrible thing. And then it's sort of like, it's about like how seemingly normal people can do a terrible thing and then like how it happens and what happens after and it's like sort of creepy but also feels like human nature like you're like oh anyone is capable of anything anyone can do anything and she's such a good writer she's such a good writer she's funny she's like really witty not like laugh out loud funny but like she's just so good at like little one-liners almost in the middle of some like dramatic monologue yeah that's a good one I don't remember that book at all. I read it in the early 2000s, though, for book club. And I don't remember it very well. But but this is kind of making me want to read it again. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I really loved The Goldfinch, which people had mixed feelings on that book. But I, I really loved it. And I thought she is an amazing writer. And I know that people often talk about the, the secret history. So 
It's her first novel, and yeah, I did not realize it was that old, but I kind of want to pick it up now. Yeah, it's good. It's good for this, like, time of year. I'm usually not a seasonal reader. Like, I oh, me neither. I don't go for, like, cozy, but I've been, like, putting in my headphones and, like, putting on, like, a little Dark Academia playlist on Spotify and, like, reading the book, and I just feel like I'm in Vermont and the leaves are falling. Except... We are currently hearing a siren here in the dead middle of Los Angeles, where yeah. we live. It's a fun little escape yeah. to read about murder in the Northeast. Okay, the first book that I want to talk about, you aren't going to relate to it literally at all, which is funny. I didn't pick it because you wouldn't relate it to it. I picked it because I just share what I've been reading lately mm-hmm. that I've loved. And I thought it was funny that it happened to fall on this episode. Because this book kind of blew me out of the water. I was completely surprised by it. It's called... How to Stay Married, The Most Insane Love Story Ever Told by Harrison Scott Key. Now, this is a nonfiction book, kind of memoir, but not not like a life memoir. It's like a year in the life. It's actually more than a year, a few years. It's a, a period of time where the author, Harrison Scott Key, discovers that his wife of many, many years, mother of his children, has fallen in love with another man. I mean, she tells him. Uh-huh. And this is nonfiction. So speaking of juicy, it is very juicy. Uh-huh. Like, if you've ever known anyone, well, I mean, you're young, so you haven't. But if you've ever known anyone that has gone through sort of a scandalous divorce or separation like this, and you don't want to know all the details because you want to be a good and higher-minded person, <laughs> but you do want to know all the details because we're humans, this book really scratches that itch because it says so many things. Now, I listened to it on audio, and I don't remember why I ended up buying on on audio, because I first stumbled across this book in the bookstore. It has a really good cover. It has, like, this black-on-black cover. It's, like, a really strong graphic cover, which I Mm -hmm. I care about that. And I sort of read the flap or the opening pages, and I was like, oh, this is so good. But I think I was traveling. Actually, no, I was traveling. And I was like, I cannot buy this big hardcover nonfiction book and put it in my bag. So I just put it on my list, and I ended up buying it on audio. I don't remember why, because I don't do a ton of audiobooks. I highly recommend it in this format, because he is so funny. First of all, this book is funny. You would not think it's funny. It's actually dark. Yeah, and upsetting and sad. So upsetting and sad, (laughs) and also so well-written, so funny. I was, like, cackling in my car. You know, it's it's like dark humor, you know? He's, like, being funny to cope, basically. Yeah, And... This book is so good because he's writing it what feels like, of course, you can never know exactly, but it feels so honest. He is taking ownership of the ways in which he's not been world's best husband. And then he's also writing through like the heartbreak of your wife being in love with another man who was actually someone he knows. It's not a stranger. And I wanted to just drive around town and listen to this book. I did not want this book to stop. It was so good. Now, my only caveat to it for listeners, and this, you know, this won't apply to everyone or not, but it is very Christian. But not Christian-like. We went to couples therapy and we're great about it. (laughs) No, it's more because he makes fun of in some kind of ways. Like, he does, like, go to his pastor, you know, to be like, this is happening, what do I do? And the pastor does not have what one might consider an appropriate response. So he is frequently sort of poking fun of the church, the, how the church does or does not support you in mm-hmm. this scandalous moment. So 
you know, there's that. But but he also does sort of quote the Bible and stuff. But it's not like preachy. Like I said, this is a humor book and there's a lot of darkness to it. I, I give that caveat because that's just not going to be everybody's jam. Right. It's just not. Like that's going to be – might be a turnoff for some readers, especially given the subject matter. I thought this book was so good. I, I can't give any spoilers are there spoil? I literally the only I'm sitting here with the question like okay so are they, do they stay married? The title of the book is called How to Stay Married, so my assumption is that they're married still. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Why would there be spoilers in a nonfiction book? Like it's just your life. Well, because you really need to go on the whole journey. It is right. like I said, I think it's like a, over a three to four year period, maybe, of their them going through these marriage ups Trials. and downs. Yeah, let's say, and. I just, I needed to listen to a book, read a book like this in the moment because, you know, sometimes I get on a certain track. So I I read a lot of fiction and then I read a certain amount of nonfiction. And most of the nonfiction that I'm reading is some version of self-help, some kind of personal development or some kind of like learning. I'm learning something about my business or my spirituality or my, you know, it's some kind of, I'm trying to better myself in some way mm-hmm. with a lot of the nonfiction that I read, which is good. I like those kind of books. I think I needed to read a book like this that was like just pure memoir in a way, like just someone's story, someone yeah. else's story that is so well told and so funny. And I just was like, oh, I forgot that books like this exist. And it just made me so happy. Like as a writer and a reader, I mean, not ha- this, this is a hard story, but it made me so happy to just be like, oh, we can tell stories in this way. Yeah. This is amazing. Right. And it made me just want to be like, I can't believe he writes this way about his own life. Yeah. And yeah, the subject matter, you know, marriages are tough. That part's going to be hard for people. It's going to be an instant no for some people who are maybe married and in a hard marriage. This is not going to be the book for you. If the religious aspect to it is not your jam, it's not going to be for you. But if any of this piques your interest, this is going to. This is definitely going to be one of my favorite books of the year. And I've never been more surprised by a book in a while. Have I? I think just because I had no expectations, mm-hmm. it was kind of going to be a palate cleanser for me. Like I pressed play, just like driving around or whatever, yeah. and then I was like. What am I listening to? This is amazing. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm definitely going to have to read that one. I wonder what you would think about it because you're just in a totally different place. And I don't know that you would understand, not under, not like intellectually understand it, but like really relate to the Working. dark humor of marriage. Yeah. I loved it. We can find out. <laughs> We're going to find out because I'm going to read it and I'm going to be like, well, I don't really know what's going on. Well, report back, please. Okay, what is the next book on your list? Okay, my next book, I think this is probably going to end up being my favorite book of the year, which is by the same author who I refused to read in seventh grade, John Steinbeck. I read Cannery Row earlier this year. Why? There's this writer that I follow on Instagram. Her name's Chloe in Letters. She's like around my age. She's living in New York. And I just love her. And she doesn't do a ton of recommendations. And she was doing, like, sort of an Ask Me Anything on Instagram, and someone asked about book recommendations. And this was one of them. And she was like, this is one of the books that I have, like, just, like, completely marked up, and I read it over and over again. And I was like, okay, I'm trying to read more classic literature now that I'm in a point where I feel like I would enjoy reading it. It was, again, it was a thing I had no expectations. I bought it just because she said it was good. Like, I read the back cover, and I was like, okay. I It didn't necessarily make me excited but then like i just feel like john simon is such a beautiful writer 
And he's so good about, like, capturing the good intentions of people and how they go astray and, like, how we, like, essentially hurt each other even though we had the best intentions. Because, like, the book... Have you read Cannery Row? No. It's about this town. Apparently it's it's based off, like, Monterey, California. That's where he always writes about. Yeah. And it's just sort of like this town where, like, everyone seems to be living, living below the poverty line and, like, it's people are just sort of getting by and, like, the relationships that these people have and, like, ultimately, like, how they're trying to, like, care for one another and, like, find connection in each other despite the fact that they're, like barely able to live based on, like, the things that they have. And it sort of revolves around, like, the more successful man of the town. His name's Doc. He's, like, a scientist. He, like, owns a home. Like, he's sort of, like, trying to take care of everyone. And then there's, like, this group of boys who just sort of, like, live live in a shed. And they're just, like, chilling. And they, like, want to do nice things for him. And, like, the nice things somehow always go astray. But, like, it's written less simplistically than I just put it but it just like does a really good job of like capturing how we try to connect with each other despite like what is going on with us like we can have nothing and still we're like trying to figure out how we can love people Mm -hmm. in a way and it was just like so gorgeous and it just like also jumps into like little stories around the town of like random people and he's just a great writer and I'm like well maybe I should go read The Pearl now (laughs) Maybe you should. Now that I love John Steinbeck. I really want to read East of Eden, too, which is like, that one's like a mammoth, isn't it? It's huge. I think I read that one several years ago. I'm almost positive I did. I mean, Steinbeck's for a particular type of reader. I don't know what that means. To me, he makes me feel like, like simultaneously, like sort of like melancholy, but also like very hopeful. Like very like humanity is a sad and beautiful thing. Yeah, I would say he does that very well. Yeah, but I'm not like a Steinbeck scholar. I think I've only read two of his. But yeah, I love that you read that. I don't ever saw you reading that one. I read that one mostly in my car on my lunch breaks at work. God, we're so much alike in so many weird (laughs) and specific ways. Who knew? Who knew? Okay, my next book is also going to be, I think, one of my favorites of the year, which I've said, I don't know if I just have created this pattern for myself. I mean, it's also a little bit of a publishing industry pattern. Often the best books of the year are published in the fall. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite time of year to read, which is weird because, side note, I haven't been reading as much as usual lately because things have been really, really busy. Now, often for me, when things are really busy, I read a lot because that's just like how I decompress or how Mm -hmm. I escape from the busyness or procrastinate or whatever. I haven't read much this month. I read this in September when I was busy and I was so surprised by it. Again, that's the theme of this of these recommendations. Also, if you're a Secret Stuff member, if you're in my Patreon community, you've already heard me talk about a couple of these books because every month there, I give a reading roundup of everything I read that month, good and bad. It's the only place I put all of that. And so if you want to be a member of Secret Stuff, you can always hear those reading roundups. Go to lauratremaine.com slash secret stuff. So if you already are a member over there, This is going to be a bit of a repeat, but I've been excited to tell the 10 Things to Tell You audience about a couple of these, including this one, Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. Now, I did already post about this one on Instagram as soon as I finished it because I was like, I have to tell people about this book. Angie Kim wrote a book called Miracle Creek a few years ago that I liked. 
and a lot of people liked. I liked it enough that I picked up Happiness Falls. I also picked it up because a few people highly recommended it, including Yasmeen, who is often on the show here talking about books with me. She's my real life book club. So I bought it again, not much expectations. Just be, I mean, I, because I'd liked Miracle, not like I had low expectations. I just was neutral on it. Do you know what I mean? Like people are saying mm-hmm. this is a good book. I guess I'll read it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this book was so smart and interesting and edge of your seat. So it starts off with a family, a mom, dad, two brothers, and a sister. Our main narrator is the sister. And the dad has gone missing. Like the book starts and the dad has gone missing like that morning. Like they are in the day of where is the dad. Mm -hmm. And then the story unfolds from there. One of the brothers is nonverbal and that he has some developmental delays and he was with the dad in the morning but mm-hmm. he can't tell them what happened okay because he is nonverbal but he's very upset they can see he's very upset he he does communicate in his way but he can't you know he can't explain and so then it becomes like i think thriller is too strong of a word but like part suspense because there's this mystery of trying to figure out where the dad is. But then as they're figuring things out, there's also like this science element to it. I, I don't want to give too much away here, but, you know, you're learning things about um, the brother and the therapies that he's been going through and the things that he has been learning. And that is playing into the family dynamics here of like, you know, the sister and the mom and the you know, all the things that, have, you know, it's one of those things like flashes back to is his disappearance relevant to this thing that happened in our family last summer? Is it all the, you know, all these mm-hmm. different like avenues what you're learning about this family? And I just thought it was fascinating. It's so smart. I like learned things again about like therapies and I'm trying to just like not give any of this away <laughs> because it's like kind of tricky to talk about. It's my favorite type of book where you are entertained you can't stop turning the pages and you're learning something and you're invested in the characters and that's kind of about all i can say about it it's okay. just really good and there's some hard themes in this book you know i those are the type of books i like with some like right. human condition the hard parts of that right. being explored i love that type of thing it's called happiness falls by Angie Kim. It'll be one of my favorites of the year. I haven't read anything like it in a while. I just keep using the word smart. It just, I love it when an author doesn't dumb down hard concepts for the reader. Because again, there were things I was learning about this brother's condition and the missing dad, this isn't a spoiler, the missing dad was studying happiness. He was like studying like what makes a life happy, like from a science perspective. Uh And so as they're like, trying to figure out they're digging into his notebooks or his computer or whatever, trying to figure out where he might have gone missing to. So it's like explaining some of the research that he was doing. So like, there's this, that's what I mean. Like the science element to it in a family drama. But anyway, I love it when the author doesn't talk down to you. I mean, she's explaining some concepts I didn't know, but it's, she keeps it like high level. She's not like, you feel like you're in on it. Yeah. Like, like you're like, oh, I know the science stuff. Yes. You're like, oh, fascinating. We're all learning together. You know, it didn't, I don't know. I just can't say enough about it. It's, it's really good. Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. 
Okay, what's your next one? Okay, my next one is Euphoria by Lily King. Okay, tell me about this book. Okay, this is only my second Lily King book. I've already decided that she's one of my favorite authors. What was your first one, Writers and Lovers? Mm -hmm. Oh, I loved that. It's like one of my favorite books of all time. Okay, and then aren't you the one that told me that the TV show that's so popular, Euphoria, is not Not based... In Lily King's book, Euphoria, which I have assumed for years. I also assumed my friend from home assumed, like, bought the book because she thought it was the same. But she also read Writers and Lovers. So, but no, they're not related at all. This, Euphoria by Lily King, is about three anthropologists in New Guinea that are, like, studying these villages in New Guinea. So not related at all to high school the high school drug scene. It is. It's complicated, though, because that show was popular the year that book was popular, I think. Or close, right? I don't know. Why do we all I, make that assumption? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. Truly, I have no answer, but I thought the same thing. And it's also a romance, which, like, I feel like a little bit Lily King's a romance author. And I... She's and, like a literary romance. She's like a literary romance author. And I don't, like, every romance book I've read in the last five years, almost, I've been like, nope. Not for me. But I think it's because she also centers so much of her stories around who these characters are and less of, like, they're in love sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is what makes it so good. But it's about a married couple who are anthropologists, and they're studying this village in New Guinea, and the husband is studying... They're, like, specifically studying men and women, and I think it's partially because of, like, the gender roles within the village... But anyways, it's about this married couple, and she's studying the women, and she's, like, mostly, she studies, like, communication, like, how they talk to one another, like, that kind of thing. And he studies, like, like sort of, like, their ritual practices and that kind of thing. And then there's this third anthropo- anthropologist. His name is Bankson. And he, like, sort of runs into them one day and... It's like a love triangle. Literally, it's like a love triangle. And they are studying this tribe together and basically living together. On the surface of it, it just seems like... Which these always end up being my favorite books. Are like where you're like, okay. Like the plot seems simple. And then it's just like the people in it are so layered and complex. And they're like... Bengtson's in love with the wife. And like the wife and husband like sort of have this tumultuous relationship going on and then they're also trying to navigate relationships between these the people in these villages who like some of them are really interested in having them there and some of them aren't and uh, she's just a great writer and she just knows how to make people like real and complicated and is it long no it's short right it's pretty short and like the text is at least on my copy like the text is big and the margins are big it was super fast. Like, I got through it in, a, like, three or four days. And I'm not a very fast reader. Yeah, I've seen that people love this book. I only recently found out it wasn't based on the TV show, which I think one of the reasons I avoided it after loving her book, Writers and Lovers, also. Mm-hmm. Because I had heard, you know, that the TV show was was hard, was, like, yeah. harsh. And so I had thought, oh, I'm just going to skip that book. But now it makes me want to read it. Okay, my next one, I wasn't sure if I loved it when I finished it, but now it's been, you know, a month or six weeks or something, and I'm still thinking about it. And so that always, like, matters to me. I always Mm -hmm. notice that. Also, I was looking at my list of the year, and something that I 
read this summer that I gave four stars to. Like, that's a strong rating for me. And I was like, did I even like that book? I barely remember what that was about. But when I rated it, right when I finished it, I like rated it really strongly. This book that I'm about to tell you about, I was like, I don't know, mm-hmm. three, three and a half. But now I'm still thinking about it right. later. So that is a case in which I might adjust those ratings for that very reason. But anyway, this is from a very popular author, Catherine Ryan Howard. And her newest book that came out, I believe it came out in August, is called The Trap. Okay. So Catherine Ryan Howard is like a suspense writer, thriller writer out of Ireland. So a lot of her books are set in Ireland. I have not a completist, but almost. I started with The Nothing Man, which I really loved, and it's super scary. Recommended by the gals at Currently Reading. Meredith at the Currently Reading podcast is is almost a book twin to me and I read Nothing Man on her recommendation years ago and so then that put me on a Catherine Ryan Howard like spin and I read a bunch of hers. I also read 56 Days which was the first book verse novel that I read that had the pandemic as kind of a background thing that was happening. So I read that like a year and a half ago. It was one of the first novels that I read that came out that was like oh and now the pandemic is like a thing in books. It's like event that's happening in the background of the story or whatever. I really like 56 Days. And then this new one is called The Trap, and it is basically about a woman who her sister has gone missing, and several other women in the area have gone missing. And so the book sort of starts off with they're almost trying to, like, use themselves – this isn't – this part isn't a spoiler – use themselves as a bait to trap Mm -hmm. the person to, you know, Uh kidnap them or whatever. And – in a book like this, there's not much else you can say. There's, you know, some love stuff that happens. There's several red herrings to are all the missing girls and women. Were they all taken by the same person? Could this be two different people? So, you know, we've talked on this show a little bit about how, you know, the ethics of true crime and centering the victim and that kind of thing and, and taking in true crime as entertainment This is a fiction book. This is a novel, of course. But it's written in the way, like, if you really love true crime, it's, like, would be for you. Like, they are written in a way that really sort of scratches that itch but isn't hurting anybody real. And I think that Catherine Ryan Howard does such a good job in all of her books. She is bringing to the forefront some sort of cultural issue that she is bringing into this suspense book that she's writing. So in 56 Days, it was the pandemic. In this one, it is sort of about people's obsession with true crime and trying to like find the culprit themselves. Like yeah. We've all become detectives. Yeah. yeah. And so she's sort of, that's like a thread, even though that's not the, the main story. And mm-hmm. I think that I love reading books like that, that like, they're not just fluff. I mean, she wouldn't be fluff. They're not just weekend reads or palate cleansers or airplane reads or something like that because there's a depth to what she is doing. She's always have like has a cultural commentary mm-hmm. happening in the background of whatever the story is. And sort of like Happiness Falls. Like I love to be having a book that's one level, a story, and the other level you're like learning something or or you're, it's got your brain sort of spinning on something. Right. And this is totally true in The Trap, which is you know, like a country's obsession with these missing girls and and what does that mean? And it's like, it's a part of the story. Right. So there's a few twists because it's a, you know, it's a thriller kind of book. And I think one of the reasons that I didn't love it 
upon immediately finishing it, like why I didn't rank it so high when I immediately finished it, was because I had guessed one of the twists. Mm. Actually, not all of them, but a big-ish one I had kind of guessed. And so that sort of does leave you being like, wah, wah, a little bit. So justifiable reaction, I suppose, when I finished it. But the fact that I'm still thinking about some of the other elements of the book is what is bumping it up to me wanting to tell people to read it because I don't I also don't like the idea of just reading thrillers to like see if you can guess the twist like I long ago stopped trying to like really look for every single clue like I would rather just kind of go on the ride the author is taking me on Mm -hmm. that's a more enjoyable way for me to have the twist be revealed yeah instead of trying to beat them yes instead of trying to beat them which I get why we want to do that everybody wants to win at reading but that's not as fun I would rather just sort of, like, be carried along. There is going to be a twist. It's going to be revealed to me. Hopefully I'll be surprised. Yeah. And it'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's called The Trap by Catherine Ryan Howard. And, you know, she's a pretty popular author. If you hadn't picked that one up yet, there's more there than meets the eye, I feel like. I think it's interesting that she does, like, the, like, current affairs thing well, because a lot of times that comes up in books, and I'm like... Why are we doing this? Like, a lot of the time I feel like when I see, like, COVID or, like, election stuff come up in books, I'm like, oh, okay, good. I think why it works in the way that she's done it in a few different ways is because she's not, like, it's actually literally part of the story. Mm-hmm. So it would be like if the the murder was the politician that was running in the election, kind of thing. That's not her. I'm just making it up. Versus like someone just like making a random political jab in the in a book that's about something else. I feel like Stephen King did that with COVID in the Hitman book. Billy Summers. I feel like he did that and he did it in such a way too that I was like people in 20 years aren't even going to know what this is. Like it felt like such a background random thing. I don't know. He has done that in several books and then he has also a couple of times updated those references. Oh. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that. Like for The Stand, which we read for Stephen King Summer this summer, that book originally came out in like a condensed version. They cut like 400 pages from it, from the original manuscript. And then he re-released it in the 90s as the full Thing. manuscript, as the full story with added back in that those 400 pages. But he did refresh some of the like cultural references or like what songs were popular. Oh, he also sort of changed the time line a little bit. I'm not, I'm getting in the weeds here, but basically I do think it's interesting when people, because I'm like you, sometimes I'll be like, what is that? No one's even going to know that yeah. reference to like a r- obscure reality show that was popular for a minute, like a Tiger right. King reference, for example. Right. We know it now, but like in 10 years. Yeah. It was like if blip. Lucy read this and tw- she'd be like, what? Yeah. Okay. My last book is a Stephen King book, Pet Cemetery. Oh, <laughs> He says, and I concur, this is the scariest thing he's ever written. I think it was scarier. You think it was scarier? It really scared me at at times. And I don't know if it's like sort of the chase aspect of it that that I feel like is constantly happening. In it? Yeah, where you feel like every corner that you turn around, like there might be something there. Yeah, that's scary. And I didn't feel like that so much with Pet Cemetery, But also it comes back to the same thing of like how it would affect a different generation of people, like parents who have kids that could have anything happen. (laughs) Parents should not read this book if they are even slightly sensitive. I am a Stephen King 
fangirl, and I will not read this book. I mean, I've read it before. I tried to reread it, buddy read it with a friend, my friend Kara. We were going to reread it together a few years ago. And I started it, and I was going how to start it. I love Stephen King, and I'd read this when I was young. I, re- I even remembered what it was about. Mm-hmm. I start reading it, and I suddenly remember one of the major plot points that I had completely forgotten. And I was like, this is going to be a no-go <laughs> for me. It's pretty horrible. It's a really, really hard story. It is. But, but you I, loved it? I loved it. I mean, Stephen King, for me, is like a palate cleanser. What? Like he, I know that sounds strange, but I think it's because, I think it partially has to do with how absolutely monstrous some of his books are, like in length. And because he is someone with such a distinct style of writing and storytelling, that it's like become comforting to me. And when I feel like I've hit a point where I'm like reading books and I'm like, nothing's really, like, appealing to me. Nothing's, like, making me want to, like, keep going. And because there's so many Stephen King books I haven't read, I'm like, oh, what's a Stephen King book I want to read next? And also, like, I've never really... I feel like all the ones I have read so far have been well-acclaimed. Like, you haven't read his Some sleepers. of his stranger ones. Yeah. I <laughs> I haven't really gone into that. And so I just am like, oh, well, people like this one, so I'm going to like this one. And so I just know that I can grab it. And off, read it. Off my literal shelf. Yeah. And it's going to be a great, like, story because he's just, like, the best storyteller. You didn't think Pet Cemetery was so scary? No. I also read that one at work a lot, too. And so I think maybe sometimes setting can... Like, I I was never reading it for, like, super long chunks of time. Like, um, you were never at home alone reading it. The times that I was at home alone reading it, I was getting... I would, like, have to be like, okay, no more of this. Like... Once the sun went down, I was like, I'm going to put this away and wait until tomorrow. But I just feel like if I'm, like, having a slow reading, if I'm in, like, on a, in a slump, then, like, that is the author that I'm going to go for. And also, I learned during this book, I just, like, came to this realization, Stephen King has such a heavy hand in his storytelling. Like, he... And it cracks me up because, like, he just gets away with it so well. He will be like, and this thing just happened. Like, he loves to be, like, use, like, mysticism as a way to, like, move the story. Just, Mm -hmm. like, for him as the author to just reach in and be like, I'm going to put you over here. And then just be like, it just happened. Like, there's no even way to explain it. But he does it so well. He knows that, like, in life... Things just happen sometimes, and there's no explanation. And he's really good at knowing when to use that in his stories to be like, we're just going to move this along. This thing just happened. Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of things that if another author did it, you would, like, roll your eyes or be like. Sometimes he's very corny. Mm -hmm. But because it's Stephen King, it just doesn't read quite that way because he's, like, the master of horror, right? So, like, a horror person can't really be corny, even though, of course, a lot of horror things are sort of corny-ish. But... He is, like, unashamedly, like, cheesy yeah. sometimes. Yeah, he's, a, he's like, a character. Yeah. And I it shows it. in his books. I love him. Okay, my last one, I didn't know I was going to talk about until just right now. And I think it's just, if the, my first book, How to Stay Married, is just not applicable to you in any way, this last one might be more for anyone listening that is your age. And I read this... In August, this was my morning reading. No, I read this in September. It was my morning reading. It's called The Great Work of Your Life. (laughs) 
great. I can't wait to find out what it is. <laughs> Tell but me. It was. This is by Stephen Cope. Now, I don't even know exactly where I got this recommendation, except for, you may not know this about me, but I am a total sucker for, a lot of times these are like tech bros on Twitter or just like random like productivity hack guys, like whatever those, that type of person. They will often put out lists of like books that will change your life or like, you know, the 10 books that jump-started my business or whatever. You know, they'll just, uh-huh. I am a sucker for those lists. I will click on those lists every single time. Even if I'm like, I don't, I'm not trying to like do a startup. <laughs> this, is, this person does not relate to me at all, but yet I need to know what books changed his life, you know, whatever. It's almost always guys that do this. Anyway, I think that this book came from one of those type of lists. And I don't always take a bunch of those recommendations, but for whatever reason, you know, I I clicked through and read the description or something. Anyway, The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope. The tagline is, or the subtitle is, A Guide for the Journey to Your True Calling. (laughs) Okay. Just keeps getting better. (laughs) So I think I bought this when I was in a mood, Mm -hmm. clearly, right after my birthday. I've talked on the show already about how I kept a birthday journal this year and was really like working through some things this summer. And one of those things was sort of spinning out on like, what is my calling? What is my purpose? Am I on the right path? You know, that kind of thing that I go through every few years. And I really liked this book because it dives into several very well-known people who, you know, just as as observers, we would say for sure they were like changing the world in their exact way. You know, like Susan B. Anthony, Harriet Tubman, Jane Goodall, Walt Whitman, like some of these very famous examples of people who took their exact skill set or their calling and they really like lived it out. Well, what he does is he doesn't demystify that they actually did that, but he sort of ge- he gives backstory to all of them of like almost all of them had different careers or different paths until they found this one. Like it, it's not all a story of like, you know, when you're young, it's also not always a story that that's your calling for your whole life. That might've been your calling for just one season when you were young and then you, you completely change paths and that's okay too. Like I just felt like there were so many stories and examples in this book that was not only permission giving for whatever our own paths are, but sort of just eye-opening to you can't distill very famous figures, or even if they're not famous, because he also writes about some people he knows in real life that are just, you know, regular people, his friends or whatever, that that we all know who we would say they just are in their exact right path. They are mm-hmm. really living out their calling and their purpose, whether they're famous or not. You can't distill that into just like one single line. It is often very complicated. It is they often do not see it as their calling in the moment. Right. Um, you know, they don't see themselves the way other people see them. Their paths are often very winding. There's sometimes a lot of heartbreak. Like they've had to give up in order to live that calling. They've had to give up other things, other life choices. And I don't know if I'm like making this make a ton of sense. Other than I was in a place where I wanted to read about like what makes a purpose or what makes a calling. And it's not always mystical. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it is. We have those stories where it feels like, you know, I don't know, like God or destiny or fate dropped you into this place. 
But for a lot of people, it's just like plugging along and work that they did for 20 years finally comes to fruition or they were in the right place at the right time or just lots. He gives lots of examples and lots of different explanations for what this can feel like or what this can look like from the outside. And I think I just needed to hear that in some ways, like that there's not just one way you're not going to be hit upside the head by a sunbeam, you know, where you're just like, and this is this is it. Yeah. Also, if if you think maybe you're living in it, as I think I am some days, that you're not just going to get some divine affirmation that you are living in it. Right. That's not going to be a common thing. And so I just needed to sort of read this book. This is definitely for a particular type of person, although I do think this would be like a great, I don't know, graduation gift or something like that, because it's a very approachable read. It's not academic. It's storytelling based and just makes you feel like, okay, well, I'm not. I'm not screwing it all up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something's going to pan out. Something's going to work. It's called The Great Work of Your Life, A Guide for the Journey to Your True Calling by Stephen Cope. Lovely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this was so fun. Thank you for spending hours of your day, even suffering through some tech issues before we got started, talking with me about books. It's like so fun to talk to you in this way. Yeah, I loved this. I'll always talk about books and other things. Otherwise, we'll just meet in the kitchen to talk. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) We can just walk on over next door and carry on. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening.